Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Those are, those are vegetable cards. Like, no one wants to eat their vegetables, they just want to eat pie. The vegetables make you big and strong. They, they do indeed. I am not arguing against it. I'm just telling you what the, the human reaction is for a lot of people. Yeah, we came, we came for a pie-eating contest. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Hello friends, how are we doing today? Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Welcome back everybody. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on EDHRECcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. We have a guest today, fellas. Ladies and gents, please welcome the man whose articles are never blurry because they give your Commander focus, mm-hmm. Nate Burgess. Hello! I'm Nate Burgess. Thank you for having me. How's it going, Nate? Pretty good. Awesome. So as our listeners may know, this is Nate Burgess, formerly of the Commander in Podcast, now of the Commander Time Podcast, with fellow EDH Rec writers Dean Guti and Patrick Zappola. He currently writes the Commander Focus series on EDH Rec, but he formerly wrote the Partner Focus series, which is why today's topic is going to be about the way that partners work in EDH and what data we can find on EDH Rec regarding those partners. Nate, guys, you ready? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Nate, if you don't mind, we're just going to fire a bunch of questions at you. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about that series that you wrote, the Partner Focus series. Okay. The Partner Focus series, uh, like my Commander Focus series, when I write the articles, there isn't, there isn't already much data on EDHREC for whoever I'm writing about, whether, at, whether that's because it's a recently released Commander or nobody likes it. So I go into analyzing the commander's abilities to take maximum advantage, as well as theorizing on what types of cards this commander wants because of those abilities, and then how to find those cards using all the tools available. So like for comparison, Dana writes articles 
where he looks at cards that people are currently using and tells them what they should be using instead. I kind of skipped the first part. <laughs> so now, is there a specific way on the site to match up partners, or do you kind of have to end around and like use one partner and then add the second one as a part of that deck? With the EDHREC interface, I, I can search a pair of partners by going to the colors tab and then selecting the colors I want. And under that, it will have the pairs of partners that are available that have decks in EDHREC. Okay. Because I think when, when I was looking this up, my own, I was basically like picking a partner and then adding a second one in to see which one, you know, which which decks had both of them simultaneously. But then I was like, well, I don't entirely know if, is it really a partner deck or is one of them the commander that one's in the deck? Yeah, if you see a page with just a single partner on it, um, you can look through it and see what color cards it's using and kind of deduce that way. But uh, I found the easiest way is to do it through the colors tab. Okay. Yeah, it can be a little weird. The way that EDHREC scrapes data from deck lists that use the partner commanders, those commanders can kind of be... I, I don't want to say that they can, that they ruin the algorithm at all, but it is a little wonky the way that we collect data on them because sometimes it's difficult for the site to figure out what colors the deck should be. For example, I'm just looking on uh, the Rayhan Last of the Abzan page right now, and if you look down Rayhan's page, you can actually see a couple of cards on her page that are not green or black, even though that's what her specific colors are. Specifically, I'm talking about Cathar's Crusade, a white enchantment shows up on Rayhan's page, even though that's not in her colors at all. So because of the way that partners work, it's a little tough for EDHREC to get the data precisely about them, which is what makes Nate's article series so useful. Thank you. Yeah, so for if it's a commander that we don't have much data about, you know, one way to do it is we look at other commanders that have similar abilities and that are already more well-established. So you can use their data to see what your commander wants to do. Like if I was building a Zetalpa deck, the mono-white dinosaur that's indestructible and flying, I could look at Avis and Angel of Hope decks and then wonder why I'm not running an Avis and Angel of Hope deck instead of Zetalpa. Sometimes <laughs> there aren't similar commanders, so we can't do that, and you have to try something else. And I go into a few different methods that I come up with. Yeah, one of the main features that I noticed about your article series is the way that you use advanced filters and gatherer searches. You really walk readers through how to use those different deck building resources to create the perfect deck. That's something that I really admire about your series. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Uh, sure. So the best example is probably the corpse cur trick. So anytime you want to build an infected deck around any commander, you find that commander's EDH rec page, or you find another commander in the same colors, and you add an advanced filter. There's a little tab there. You click advanced filter. You say with corpse cur, and that's a four mana colorless artifact creature that when it dies oh no when it enters the battlefield you can go to your graveyard and take a creature that has infect and put it into your hand so you know that any deck that includes corpse cur is going to have a lot of infect creatures and if you just add an advanced filter for that on any commander's colors you're going to get back a list of all the best infect creatures in those colors 
So that, that's pretty cool. You would find when writing about a specific partner and how to build them, you would find a specific theme that you wanted to build around, do a hard search for that particular theme, a, a card that represents that theme, and then find other similar cards after using that filter. It's a pretty neat trick. Yeah. Uh, Corpse Cur works for infect creatures. If you're doing something with legendary creatures, you can add a hero's podium instead. Just uh, find a colorless card that is related to the theme you want. It It's a card that depends on other cards with your theme being in the deck. And since it's colorless, any commander can use it. And then uh, just search EDH rec for those colors and add the filter. See what you should get. Yeah, that's really wise. That's uh, a great trick. I like that a lot. So, Nate, would you say that you kind of pick a, a different uh, buzz card for every different theme that you try to build? Like like you said, Corpse Cur for Infect. Do you have one just kind of for every uh, theme that you go go through? Uh, not yet, but when I have a theme that I'm looking for, I can usually find a colorless card that will help with that. So, just got to find them. So, in writing that series about all of those partners, we have 15 different possible partner commanders was there one that was your particular favorite? Uh, my favorite is Vile Smasher the Fierce. It's got a low, low mana cost. It has a win condition by random mayhem. You can blame that mayhem on the dice. Hey, did I do that? And uh, he's in the right colors. Yeah, Vile Smasher the Fierce being that three mana, two, three Rakdos commander that whenever you cast your first spell, it does damage equal to that spell's mana cost to someone at random it's definitely really fun i think i've seen a lot of people running that just independently as a non-partnered commander it's powerful enough to be on its own powerful enough that yeah it, it got banned in 1v1 oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah if you're looking for a replacement for a Carevec deck you can just use vile smasher instead so on the opposite of that question then you know other side of the coin was there a partner you didn't like or was there perhaps like a weirdest pair the the hardest partner to write about yeah the hardest one to write about is ludovic necro alchemist because uh yeah that guy he he helps your opponents for one thing he doesn't really help you more than he helps your opponents he doesn't enable a clear win condition with his ability his ability doesn't scale to draw more than one card uh, he's a 1-3 one, one or 1-4, so he can't really fight in combat. He's not going to win with commander damage. Uh, he might be the middle part of a mediocre combo because you have to do... Some, someone else has to lose life. That's step one. Then he'll draw you a card, one card, and then step three is you do something with that card. <laughs> yeah, Ludovic definitely was... At least in in my group, Ludovic was quite a disappointment. We'd been looking forward to this Necro Alchemist, but him being a weird political helps everyone draw cards commander was kind of a surprise. Yeah, there, he's Dana. He, there was he's two Dana's favorite play type. Yeah, well, there, there's two layers to disappointment on Ludovic. He's not a good card, but he's a good lore character that people were waiting for to get a card for a lot of years, and when they finally got it. It's bad, and it's nothing like the character. So there was a lot of levels of disappointment in that card. Yeah, and it might be argued that he's in the wrong colors. 
That's another thing. If you wanted to build a flavor deck with Ludovic and even with Crown Ludovic's Opus, the other partner commander that came in that deck, you can't run things like Ghoul Color Gisa. People were really excited to build a, a flavor deck around Innistrad, but Ludovic's color identity restricts you from being able to represent all of the fun zombie stuff that you can do on Innistrad. So that was kind of disappointing. Yeah. So when writing the series, I'm curious, what did you learn? Is there a main lesson you'd like readers to take away from the Partner Focus series? EDH Rec, it's a great tool, but it's not always the most effective tool. I know that might be blasphemy saying that on this podcast, but hey, it, neither is Gatherer and neither is Scryfall. No one tool is always the best. So in, in each of my articles, I walk through how I decide what cards to look for and then how to use whichever tools best let me find what I'm looking for. Man, you, you're, you're really tempting fate here. If Jason were here, he might fire you along with me Woo, matt i saw you put in this question so i, I don't want to hog all of the the questioning oh no i i one thing that i really like about your series nate is like you said you're you're taking pieces from every different tool and kind of using them all in conjunction with each other so i just wanted to kind of ask uh, if there was like one standalone tip that you could pass on to people trying just to get better at using edh rec a little bit better than they are now uh, what would that tip be the advanced filters exist. A lot of complaints that I see about EDH rec, they could be solved by using an advanced filter or two. If you want to see a competitive decks, add a filter for your favorite zero-cost mana rock. If you want to see casual decks, add a filter to exclude that card, and then you'll see casual decks. Yeah, that's definitely a good lesson. Using the advanced filters has definitely helped me find cards that are a lot more in line with the strategy that I would prefer to play. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that kind of falls in line with a lot of like requests for different features on the site. You know, we already have those in place. Just people don't don't really take that next step. So I, I think it's a pretty good, pretty good note that you could give on to people. So now that you're done writing the partner focus series, you've written those 15 articles, one for each of the partners. You've moved on to the commander focus series. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Yeah, so using the same methodologies as the Partner series, I look at a new or a recently released legendary creature that I like, such as uh, Marisilda Pretender or Grisilda Monster Masher, or commanders that I think will be very popular, like Edgar Markov or Muldrotha the Gravetide, or commanders that I think have a lot more potential than their current EDH rec deck count implies, like uh, Lysia Sanguine Tribune. There aren't enough decks for her. Wasatora, Nekoru Queen, darn enough decks for her. They're, those commanders are better than you think they are. Yeah, it's a really enlightening series. I really appreciate the way that you walk readers through those advanced filters to find a theme that they really want to build around. And partners really exemplify those themes, especially since they do have a particular direction that they're pulling the deck. And pairing them up with another partner that's pulling in a slightly different direction, that can be a lot of mayhem. So that you know, that partner focus series is really helpful to funnel your deck building into find one solidified theme. It's a, a lot of fun to read. So I definitely recommend that our listeners go and give that a gander. Thank you. Uh, while we're talking about partners, I have to admit, I just finished up a project that I'm really excited about. And I kind of want to take a little bit of time to tell you guys about it. I just finished up a partner smash up and I'm going to share the link with you guys here because I just realized I didn't do that. All right. That's so unprofessional, Joey. Very. I'm deeply sorry. For the main host. Oof. So are you guys familiar with the Smash Up game? A little bit, yeah. Where you like shuffle two 
decks together and you can have you know a dozen different combinations or whatever it is yeah exactly each of the boxes with a smash-up game will come with a bunch of different 20 card decks and then you take two of them shuffle them together and then you have a complete 40 card deck to play the game with i did something similar with partners so each deck is 50 unique cards built around one of the partners well I'm only using 10. The enemy-colored partners, they do have two possible options. For example, you can choose between Rehan or Ikrishidiki. I just went with one of them. Didn't want to stretch myself too thin, basically. Uh, and then you can take any of those, shuffle them together, and you've got a ready-to-go EDH deck. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think Sean Taberis did something similar with the article series on MTG Canada, maybe. Yeah, this is definitely not wholly an original idea by me, but it's something I just finished like last week, and I'm really excited to share it. So we're going to have a link in the show notes so that people can check out this, this series. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not awake yet. I apologize. So we'll have a link in the show notes so that people can it's check that out if they want to. It's 4.30 in the afternoon for you. <laughs> How are you not awake? I nap on my days off, man. That's that's fine. All right. That's what happens when you get older. <laughs> those those old bones. Yeah. Are we uh, yet another Commander podcast with over a hundred years of hosts? With four of us on here, we definitely are. Yeah. I mean, I am twenty five, and presumably I'm the youngest among among you guys. So, I would assume so. Yeah, because Dane and I put up thirty plus on our own. So I'm we got I'm forty. Fit. So. Ooh. I mean, I'm good looking for 40. I'm like a really attractive 40. So that's like I'm like a 32. But yeah, a, a strong 32 right, on the right, good days, right. a weak 41 on the bad days. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's 70 years between Dana and I. So when Joey hits puberty, we'll be at 100 years combined. Wow. Well, that's why he's so tired. Like when your body's growing like that, it takes a lot of energy out of you. Yeah, he, he's got to put the heating pad on his knees because the growing right. pains just oh my God. That's why make it hard to sleep. That's why his voice keeps cracking. I have here that we're moving to to head-to-head, but it feels awkward to transition to it. I'm still perusing on your uh, your partner smash-up. but Yeah, dude, it's so much fun. It was really tough to try and figure out, oh, which deck gets a soul ring, which deck gets a chromatic lantern, which deck gets a commander sphere which of these decks should get path to exile or swords to plowshares which gets chaos warp all of these staples you have to spread them out so it was a mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty fun to try and figure out where each of those spells should go and then also to try and balance does every deck have an appropriate amount of of ramp and then also of card draw as well as removal and is there still enough room to make it built around a specific theme for each partner i was trying to build a specific theme in mind. So Rehan, for example, very obviously is plus one counters. And then you've got Silas Ren, who likes a lot of artifacts. But then you get to something like Tana the Bloodsower and Siddhar Kondo. And they're, they both kind of imply that they want to be building around tokens. So you have to find a sort of a way to figure out a differentiation of strategies there. It was a lot of fun to put together, but it took a very long time. Yeah, it seems similar to building a cube and then splitting it up. I noticed you only used 10 of the partners here. What happened to the other five? Yeah, uh, so as I mentioned, I did only want to build one of them. I felt like I might be stretching myself a little too thin if I were to try and build 15 decks. But each of the other five commanders is actually inside of the deck uh, if there was an alternate partner. So Ikra Shadiki does appear in the Rehan deck. Or uh, what is it? Timna the Weaver does appear in the Ravos Soul Tender deck. Things like that. So they are still there just for kicks. But it was a lot of fun to build. Yeah, well, and, and my big question about this, and it kind of as I scrolled down, I saw the answer on it. I was wondering, you know, when you, you take the two decks and you shuffle them together, when you're done, how do you pick them apart? And then I saw your picture down at the bottom. You have kind of the little guild symbol uh, down in the lower corner for each card, too, to help 
you know pick it apart after you're done so yeah that's really cool actually yeah that actually more than the deck building or even acquiring the cards cutting out all of those tiny guild symbols and then getting them into the sleeve in the right the right place that probably was the most time consuming part but it was definitely a fun project Alrighty guys, let's go head to head. I really enjoy this guessing game. We're going to try and figure out which card is more popular between the two different choices that people propose. Dana, would you like to start us off on the head to head segment? I certainly can. So we're going to start off with two cards that have popped up many, many times in Commander products over the years. And they sort of fill a similar role in decks. And that is Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of uh, a little bit of math here on the two cards before you try your guessing. Swifties have been printed eight different times over the years, and they've appeared in every commander product in every year. There's been a commander product, so not in every deck, but like in at least one deck in every year we've had a commander product. Uh, Greaves have been printed ten times, so two more times, but they've missed two different commander products. They missed uh, fourteen and thirteen. Windmill Slam on Lightning Greaves. I just think it's better. Yep, I agree. Lightning Greaves. I'm going to go with Swiftfoot Boots on the note that, like you said, Dana, so it's been in every single Commander product every year, and we know just how popular those, pre-con, those pre-con Commanders are. So I think that little extra bump where you know there might be a year without Lightning Greaves in the pre-con I'll give it to Swiftfoot Boots. Yeah, but equipping for zero, man, that's just, that's very, very helpful. If you need to keep your commander protected, paying an extra mana can be, it can really put you off your curve. If you're a new player, you don't really care. You just need the that first 99 and you can go from there. Yeah, when I, I didn't look at the numbers before I made my own guess, so I kind of did the same mental math you guys were all doing. And I actually agreed with Matt going in. I thought Swifties might be in more decks. I don't disagree Greaves are better. Um, but I thought, you know, Swiftfoot Boots are cheap. You can get them from under a dollar, whereas I think the cheapest copy of Greaves is still going to run about five bucks nowadays. So I figured Swifties might edge out Lightning Greaves. But both Matt and I were incorrect. Light, oh. Lightning, mm. Lightning Greaves is in about 10,000 more decks. It's in just under eighty, just under 80,000. <laughs> and Swiftfoot Boots are in just under 70,000. Nate, digital high five. Woo! That's a high lot five. of numbers in general, though. That's Yeah, for sure. That's a... Yeah, And in general, I would say that if you want one, you probably want the other. It's kind of rare to find a deck that wants Swiftfoot Boots as opposed to Lightning Greaves, but it does it does occur, especially with Voltron Commanders, where you're trying to put a bunch of equipment or enchantments onto them. So there are certainly decks where you'd prefer having one to the other. Diao-Chan, Artful Beauty. She needs Shroud instead of Hexproof. So you can't choose her for your target? Right. Mm, good call. So for my head-to-head this week, I also went with two artifacts, especially since we are talking about partner commanders, and by nature of having a partner commander deck, you're going to be running a lot of colors. I went with two artifacts that provide you with a lot of color fixing, them being Chromatic Lantern, a three-mana artifact that can both tap for any color of mana and gives your lands all the ability to tap for any color of mana, and Coalition Relic, which is a very peculiar artifact that you can tap to put a charge counter on, or you can tap for a colorless mana, but at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, if it has a charge counter on it, you can remove that counter to get a free mana. So you can decide to you kind of save a mana for your next turn if you don't need to use it now. Really great source of color fixing. Which one do you guys think is more popular? Chromatic Lantern, 100%. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lantern, and by a pretty large margin, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Nate, how about you? I will also go with Chromatic Lantern. 
It's okay. You, you can be the contrarian. You're the guest. We can't tell you nope. you're wrong. Nope. No, he's quite right. You are all right. Chromatic Lantern currently shows up in 50,565 decks, and Coalition Relic only shows up in 10,831. That is a significant gap, and the reason that I bring those two up, not just because we're talking about partners and they're multicolored, but also because I think that that gap should be a lot smaller than it actually is. In particular, the reason I was looking at this is because I was looking through a bunch of these partner pairings so that I could prepare for today's show, and Chromatic Lantern shows up in 51% of Akiri and Silas Rendex, and also in that same color, that's those being the Brea colors, it shows up in 54% of Brea decks, but Coalition Relic doesn't show up on either of those commander's pages. It doesn't show up on Akiri and Silas, and it doesn't show up in Brea, and I just think that's wrong. If you're not playing green, if you're playing a whole bunch of colors, and you need an artifact that's going to really hardcore fix your mana, it's a very, very... like Coalition Relic, you should be playing it. It's really, really good. Especially, it just got a new printing, so it should be a little bit cheaper. Definitely run and pick that up. It'll help out a lot. Prior to that, though, it was, it was genuinely difficult to find. Like, I, I for sure didn't put it in decks because there weren't any in the local shop. There weren't any in binders. I didn't have any. So until that mo- most recent reprint, it was just difficult to find for decks without buying one online. Yeah, it was, it was pretty pricey until the, uh, the Masters 25 whatever set. And I do think it's worth noting that uh, as good as Relic is, and it is really, really good, Chromatic Lantern being able to fix every one of your lands, particularly when you're talking like three, four, or five colors... That is so, so strong. And then at that point, too, when you're getting into like three or four or five color decks, you have so many more signets that are available, or you have so many more talismans that are available that are fighting for those slots where the cards just ramp. And I think at that point, then nothing replaces Chromatic Lantern, but it's pretty easy to bump out a relic and put in a signet or a talisman. Uh, I, I would have to, I don't think that's wise. I love Coalition Relic. That thing saved me quite a few times, so I, w- I would have to run it over a Signet. The ability, the potential for fixing that it gives you, and even possibly every other turn boosting you up a little bit if you need to save a mana from one turn to your next, it's really, really useful. So I definitely think it deserves to see a lot more play. But it isn't 2-1. It's it's either, it's 2-0. It's never, you're, so you're not like, you're only getting the double mana if you don't use it the previous turn, which is good, but I just don't... I think it's a good card. I just don't know if it's that amazing. All right. We're going to have to go yeah. head-to-head me versus right. Dana Fair here enough. in a minute. <laughs> yeah, personally, I've been moving away from three-drop mana rocks and more of the two-drop mana rocks. Mm-hmm. I've just been not using Chromatic Lantern as much anymore. I, I definitely think that putting my mana fixing on a lower curve, I, I totally agree. But having... Both Coalition Relic and Chromatic Lantern, I feel like I, I've been prioritizing that as much as I can because I find them both to be so useful. And there is some abuse. You, you can do a little bit of abuse with Coalition Relic too, whether it's like proliferate effects and Atraxa, things like that. So there are some kind of clever ways you can abuse Coalition Relic. Yeah. All right. We spent a long time talking about Lantern versus Relic, though. I should probably give the, the floor to someone else. Matt, do you have a head-to-head for us this week? Yeah, I do. So I was looking around. I was revisiting an Angus McKenzie turbo fog type deck for my, you know, an upcoming article. Uh, and I was looking at spells that kind of do some fog effects. So for you guys this week, I have selfless squire versus arachnogenesis. So for, for those of you who don't know, we have selfless squire. Let me pull it up because it decided to freeze. And you called me unprofessional. Of course. Oh, my professionalism is showing. So selfless squire is a human soldier for three and a white 
It is a 1-1 with Flash. When Selfless Squire enters the battlefield, prevents all damage that would be dealt to you this turn. And then it also reads, whenever damage would be dealt to you is prevented, put that many plus one plus one counters on Selfless Squire. So it's a fog on a, you know, Flash creature comes in and then for, you know, however much damage was prevented, it bumps them up that big. So you can have a, you know, a 10-10 pretty easily if somebody's going at you pretty hard. And then we also have Arachnogenesis. So that's a green instant for two and a green. And it reads, create X, one, two green spider creature tokens with reach, where X is the number of creatures attacking you, prevent all damage that would be dealt this turn by non-spider creatures. So one's a creature, one's an instant, one makes tokens, one gives you a beater. Uh, what do you guys think? I'm going to have to give it to Selfless Squire. Selfless Squire isn't just a fog in my deck. Selfless Squire can be a win condition. When someone alpha strikes you and then you come back with a 30-30 because they thought they were going to deal all that damage and instead you turned it into a big old third. Like, I just, that thing wins me games. I'm going to have to give it to Selfless Squire. Not least because I think that the product that it came in was more popular than the product that Arachnogenesis came in. But that's just my theory. So. You're just saying that because Arachnogenesis <laughs> came in the Azuri deck. We're not get, I, no, we're not getting back into that. We're not getting into that. <laughs> it, it does strike me as odd that Arachnogenesis is a better enabler for an Azuri than Azuri's Predation. Like, I think that's weird that Azuri's Predation doesn't give him any experience counters. But whatever. People don't want to listen to me talk about Azuri every week. I, I am going to go with um, Surprise Spiders. Because, number one, it's Surprise Spiders. But I think if you're building a spider deck, like Graft Widow, there's just not a lot of spider cards you want to run. So I feel like they're definitely going to be jamming that into that deck. I also feel like maybe it, it's more of a win condition than Selfless Squire. Selfless Squire is pretty fragile. You have to you make it and then hope no one else has removal if it wants to be a win con. Dropping a whole bunch of spiders that protect you with reach and then can crack back in a token deck or with doubling season or parallel lives out... I think it's probably in a deck that runs it as a win con more frequently than selfish than selfless squire is and i think it's as a generic fog it maybe has more upside um so i'm gonna go with spiders nate what do you think i think there i think there are more token decks than there are decks that need a selfless squire so i'm gonna say arachnogenesis Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Well, well, Dana, you and, and Nate are correct. It is Arachnogenesis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 3,900 decks versus 2,300 decks, so roughly double, a um, little under. But yeah, Arachnogenesis gets a lot more play. I think it's been around a little more, and Nate had the, the point that I think helps it out the most. There, there are probably way more token decks than there are soldier decks, and it's really, you can't get one for one, like Dana said. So, Joey, you, you know I love you, but... uh. Yeah, I, I like Self Esquire quite a bit, and I'm, I'm going to play it, but Arachnogenesis gets the nod here. Alrighty, I can accept defeat this time. Nate, do you want to give us yours? Oh, uh, I don't have one prepared, but... Then uh, never mind, I'm sorry, say, that was presumptuous of me. Then we'll fix let, it in post. Let's say 
Cultivate versus Kadama's Reach. Is that too boring? No, have, that's actually have perfect. Have you done that already? Okay. So let me look up the numbers while you guys talk. I, I would guess, I mean, Kadama, technically, I guess, Kadama's Reach is strictly better for the two people in the history of EDH that have ever spliced it onto Arcane. <laughs> but man, I, I think Cultivate's been in more accessible places. So I would guess Cultivate. That's exactly my same reasoning. I, w- I would have to go with Cultivate as well. Yeah. Yeah, Cultivate's like a quarter right now. So you're you're going by the number of printings? No, we're going by the number of decks that, that the cards are played in. This might be a good way to re-explain head-to-head and how we do it. No, I mean, is that your reasoning oh. of why you're picking Oh, Cultivate? yeah. Yeah, Cultivate, yeah, just because it's been printed way more times. Okay, the numbers are, it's closer than I expected. Cultivate is higher with 45,994 decks, and Kodama's Reach is at 43,031 decks. That is pretty close, but I can't ever picture a situation where I don't want both if I want, like, if if I want one, I, I need both. Yeah. It's kind of the, usually, that path to exile. That it's way. that path to exile. Swords of Plowshares kind of deal where if you want one, you probably want them both. And they're both just the gold standard for green ramp, anyways. See, three mana ramp is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get a bit more into the meat of the partners topic. Do we have any thoughts about the particular partner mechanic itself, Dana? I think that you've got some pretty strong opinions about the partner mechanic from the Commander 2016 series. It is my least favorite commander mechanic that's been printed just full stop. Wow. Now, I'll take a step back mm. and let me, let me explain that a little bit because I do have a, a reason for it. And I'll kind of set this up by saying I've been reading a lot of articles in the last year or so with like various technology luminaries talking about the Internet and the Internet was a mistake or things we did wrong with the Internet where they kind of had this idea that it would be this utopia of sharing of ideas and no one ever considered the fact that, well, Nazis can also share ideas with one another. And, and there's a lot of problems they hadn't anticipated with, their, with this technological utopia. And I think that's kind of the situation with partners where when it was first revealed, my initial reaction was, oh, this is fantastic. This isn't just like one new commander. It's a new commander that can be paired up with you know, 14 other commanders creating a unique pair and every time they release a new one in you know two or three or five years, it creates that many more pairs. It like just, it, it's it's mathematically a way to have one card essentially create you know ten or fifteen or twenty or whatever it is. I just thought it was a, I thought it was brilliant. I love that about yes. it. However, what happened was because number one they had to keep the power level kind of neutered a little bit. So since you have two cards in the command zone, they they had to keep that power pulled back slightly. And because they wanted you to be able to pair these commanders with anybody else, they also kept the theme on the card kind of neutral as well. So the end result wasn't just a bunch of cool partners that got paired together. The end result was a bunch of vaguely good cards that people then wind up picking whichever one was the generically best in the generic best color combination to make the generically best deck running the most generic staples. So like it wound up being a whole bunch of bland, boring, good stuff, stapley decks, for the most part, that weren't remotely interesting. Mm. Well, I don't completely agree with, like, I do enjoy the partner mechanic a lot. I can definitely see what you mean about 
for the partner to feel distinct, it needs to have its own particular strategy, but for it to work well with others, it needs to also be toned down a bit so that it's not pulling too far in one singular direction that any other possible partner wouldn't be able to pair with it very well. And when we go through some of the numbers later about partner pairings, we might be able to see a little bit more of that, of the partners that do pull a little too far in one direction, not being good enough to work well with the other partners. That That is definitely a an issue with the partner mechanic, if nothing else. They have to be good enough that they can go anywhere, which also means that they don't have much of a solid theme and can default more to that good stuff thing that you mentioned. And maybe that isn't a problem for some people. Like, maybe that's just me. I mean, I fully admit that might just be something in my headspace where when I sit down, I want to see a deck doing a specific thing. I don't want to just see a deck be plopped down and be running the you know top 20 best cards in those color combinations. So that might not be an issue for a lot of people. Well, and my my question to you is: Do you think that your your points, which I agree, and I think it's super valid, but instead of it, you know, encouraging just good stuff, do you think that's more the players themselves just wanting to play good stuff versus the commanders, you know, encourage good stuff? It's kind of like the Muldrotha point that we talked about on the Dominaria review. Is it the players that are just boring, or is it the the commanders <laughs> encouraging boring deck building? I think it's kind of a combination of those two things. I think when people are given something they can exploit, they tend to exploit it to their advantage. I think it, it feels a little bit like if anyone's ever played Dungeons & Dragons back in the day, when you get that one person who figures out what the best min-maxed character class is, like, okay, if I take this and put all my points into this and then take this specialization, I can do 10 times more damage than anybody else. So I think you kind of get that effect here where you have people that are like, okay, well, I can just take this generic blue-green commander that you know is going to draw me a card and pair it with this generic blue-green commander that's going to get me mana and just run a bunch of good stuff blue-green cards and win games. So I think it's a combination. I think you've given people the, the ability to do dull stuff that's relatively effective, so they've done that. And maybe that isn't bad. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I hate to be ripping on anyone's play style. That's not necessarily my business either i'm just saying that for me it 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 is unappealing one thing that i do think is actually i guess in defense of partner commanders i think that them opening the door to possible quote good stuff strategies isn't necessarily a negative given certain color combinations so for example the thing that comes to my mind is grixis commanders if we look on the edh rec page we can see a bunch of the most popular grixis commanders such as nikusar the mind raiser who asks you to have your opponents draw a bunch of cards so that he deals damage to them for doing so Beneath that, we have Marchesa the Black Rose. That's another Grixis commander that has a very, very bizarre type of ability of dethroning, giving your creatures plus one counters, and then making them come back if they were to die, if they had a plus one counter on them. It's a very particular strategy. Below her, there's Jaleva, Nefalia's Scourge, which lets you cast spells for free. There's a whole bunch of weird but pretty niche commanders in the Grixis colors. So when Vile Smasher and Crown came out, and they don't have any particular one focus. Crown is just a flyer that happens to let you draw cards if people play spells, and then Vile Smasher deals damage whenever you play a big spell. That that doesn't have a specific niche that it's aiming towards, and it it really isn't surprising to me that a Vile Smasher and Crown Ludovic's Opus partner pair would be as popular as it is in those colors because they finally gave Grixis a non-niche commander. And I do think that's kind of cool. Personally, I mean, I wrote an article, I brewed a deck around each of these 15 characters, and I don't think any one of my articles turned into a good stuff deck. 
I might be wrong. On well, that, I, I I looked over probably half your articles in prep for this, and you're absolutely correct. That's not at all what you did. But I don't know if you're representative of the average deck brewer either. Yeah, I don't know. So in preparing for this, we also did a lot of research about what the most popular pairs of partners would be. Were you guys surprised by the results? Because I have to admit, I don't think I had anticipated which partner pairings would be the most popular. I was pretty sure it would involve Vile Smasher. Um, yeah, I, I I was fairly sure it was going to be Kaideli and Thrasios. Oh no, don't not Kaideli, not Kaideli, just Kaidel. It Sorry. rhymes with Adele. <laughs> Kaidel and Thrasios. Sorry, well, I, don't Kadeli, mean a, I don't mean to be a huge stickler with pronunciations, but it just there are some pronunciations in in Magic that I think are really funny. Umazawa's Jit, for example, just that one always makes me cringe. Because it's, it, it's Jite, that's an actual word. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But yeah, I thought Kadili would be pretty popular, just <laughs> her and Thrasios <laughs> in general. Just because Simic is, I mean, it's the most busted color pairing. It's the easiest to do, just crazy things. So blue-green X, I, I kind of expected to be among the most popular and kind of flavor from there, whatever you really want to do. So um, it wasn't surprising to see him up at the top, but... I was kind of surprised that the the black white commanders were as popular as they were because they were up in the the upper half, pretty much the entire time. Yeah. So to clue our listeners in, we'll have all of this in the show notes as well, so that you can visually keep along with it. But for now, the most popular pairs of partners are at the moment the top one is Kaidel and Thrasios at five hundred and twenty eight decks. In number two, we have Kaidel and Vile Smasher with three hundred and thirty five. Beneath them, Akiri and Bruce, which is the Boros huh. pair, at 330 decks, which I was very surprised to see. Beneath that, we have Timna and Ravos, also just a two-color pair, the black and white partner commanders at 318. Below that, we have Thrasios and Vile Smasher at 301, and we can keep going through a bunch of them from there on out. But the point is, there are actually quite a few just two-color pairs up there, as well as those Simic commanders that you guys mentioned are really, really awesome. Yeah, I'm not surprised about Timna and Ravos because they're both human clerics in a in colors that support human clerics. Right, yeah, and it's not really surprising to see Akiri and Bruce so popular, just because Boros is terrible. So it's, you only have, <laughs> well, you only have to play 98 Boros cards instead of 99 Boros cards. So that's one less mm. crappy card that you have to play. Hey, now so. I have a friend who put together an Akiri and Bruce deck, and it is surprisingly powerful. He has a lot of action. In, yeah, in that I deck. really like Akiri. It's a the artifact that gives you plus one plus zero, oh, not skull clamp. What is it? Whatever it is that you can equip, it's the equipment that they play in Modern Affinity. When you have that on your commander. It's really, really good. Like, I brewed a, a Akiri and Silas Ren deck, and it was a ton of fun. But yeah, I'm not trying to knock on Akiri. I really like him, but just Boros in general is not the most powerful color combo if you're just going two colors. Sorry, people are going to think I'm a huge stickler, but Akiri is a girl. The like <laughs> Her. Yeah, that one. Just on a, complete, on a complete side note, it is funny to me how often we misgender commanders just because, it, like, I've seen people call Kemba a him, for example. And if you take one look at the Kemba art, it's like clearly not a him. She's wearing a bra. It's it's pretty funny. Anyway, I don't mean to be a huge stickler about that. It is just kind of a, a funny thing that sticks out in my mind. Well, Akiri and Bruce let you do kind of that Boros thing where you're just smashing bodies together, but they let you do it at a low CMC versus you know playing seven drop angels. Mm-hmm. So it, it's 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 a thing that Boros is familiar with doing, but you can do it probably more efficiently there than you can with the existing options. So getting back into that sort of 
I don't know, the quote good stuff argument that you mentioned earlier, Dana, I do think that the most popular partner pairings that we see do kind of fall into that that category, I suppose. We can see that Thrasios, for example, is very, very popular among all of the partners, and it's really no surprise. He doesn't have a specific focus. He just ramps you and draws you cards, which is exactly what Simic likes to do. So it's no wonder that he's as popular as he is. Vile Smasher, you don't need to do anything other than cast spells, and it will casually help win you the game just by virtue of you having played the game. And so it's no surprise to see that be as popular as it is either. Timna and Ravos are very similar. Just over time, they'll accrue you a lot of card advantage, and so we see them being very popular too. I've actually put together a chart that we can, again, put into the show notes so that we can see the connections between all of these very popular partner pairings. It's a lot of P's this episode. And we can see that Thrasios, for example, has a whole lot of connections. It's connected to Bruce Tarl, to Ravos, to Timna, to Vilesmasher, to Kaidel. Whereas other commanders don't have a lot of pairings. For example, Ikra Shadiki barely has any connections at all. Her most played mm-hmm. popular pairing is with Sidar Kondo at a mere 76 decks. And that that's sort of all. Like obviously there are other connections like an Ikra and Rayhan deck or an Ikra and Ravos deck, but they're down in the low like 12, maybe up to 20 or so. So it's interesting to me not only to see which partners have the most connections and get along well with others, which I think goes into that good stuff argument, but also which partners don't have a lot of connections, because I think they're a little too specific. Silas Wren, for example, is another partner that has a very specific strategy in mind. He's very heavily devoted to artifacts, and one of his only pairings is with Akiri. It's at 244 decks, which is fantastic, but aside from that, he's not really connected to many other people. Yeah, not many of the other ones care about artifacts at all, and that's kind of all he cares about. Right. You've also got Ishai, for example. Ishai, Ojutai, Dragonspeaker, a flyer that is... I, I. This one's actually really curious to me because Ishai just naturally gets bigger whenever your opponents cast spells. It doesn't really ask a whole lot of you. But Ishai's number one pairing is with Rayhan, since they both use a lot of plus one counters, at 183 decks. And aside from that, Ishai doesn't have a lot of pairings with any of the other partners, which is bizarre to me. So seeing the connections between these partners is especially fascinating. And I hope that our our listeners go through these images, go through these tables that we've put together so that they can see all of the different possible connections. It's really interesting to try and ruminate on why these partners are popular with other partners and why especially they might not be as popular as others. What I, what I think they should have done with the, with the pairs and this, it's way less open-ended, but I think they might've been better served to make pairs that were locked so this deck partners with uh, yeah yeah so so this deck Mm. is sisse and gerard or you know gerard and hannah or whatever and they have abilities that mesh together in some way that's you know it's a functional deck so i think they they i don't know if that would have been better i guess they have there's a lot more options this way but i think then you would have had you could have made them a little bit stronger and had like a more defined deck that was built around a concept of some sort yeah i can see that so your complaint is it's basically that the partners don't give enough guidance in design? Not even guidance, like, just not, they don't do, like, there's nothing you're going to put a Kaidel in or even a Thrasios in other than I want this deck to win. Like, your deck is not going to try to do anything other than I'm trying to win the game, which isn't maybe a problem. Like, I, I, do, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a snob about having to have a theme or anything, even though I am. I don't think that's maybe necessarily reflection on someone as a person if they are just trying to jam good cards into a deck i think it just makes for a boring build 
It's curious to me that partner would be the thing that you dislike, whereas a lot of folks I know dislike the Olero ability or the Eminence ability, where the commander doesn't even have to be on the battlefield to start doing things. I know that a lot of people dislike that particular design, but for you, it's partner. I, yeah, I don't love that, but like at least I can sit down and maybe see a deck do a cool thing. The, the, what I don't like is in a Cadell and Thrasios deck, you're never going to see an interesting win that you'll remember six months from now. You're just going to see a Labman combo. Or someone, you know, kill you with a Blue Sun Zenith or whatever. Ah, uh, yes. In our constant effort to alienate all of our listeners, we keep criticizing their, <laughs> their favorite decks. <laughs> And, and, and to be clear, like when I'm criticizing, I'm criticizing that from my point of view. If that's something that you find interesting, like that's perfectly cool. <laughs> I don't. Like I've I've lost to Labman, you know, a dozen times, and it's it's it was to a faceless person playing a deck of blank cards. I remember none of it, but I've remembered some really wonky times I've been killed by crazy combinations of janky cards. So for me personally. When I sit down and play, I want to see someone do something interesting. I don't want to see you just grind out value with Thrasios. So do you have any partner decks yourself? I'm kind of curious, you guys, if we have a, a particular favorite partner pairing. I think my personal favorite pairing was uh, Ravos and Kralm. Zombie Tribal. Four-color Zombie Tribal. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, because Ravos is he, he's not a zombie, but he's doing zombie things. The one that really caught my attention, I've mentioned her a couple times, is Rayhan. I really just liked the plus one counters, but I didn't... I don't, a lot of people obviously built Atraxa, but she wasn't quite there for me. I didn't want to go wide the way that Atraxa does. I wanted to go tall, and therefore Ishai and Rayhan was a really fun combination for me. Get a bunch of counters onto one creature, and if it dies, then I can shift them over to somewhere else so I can put them onto a hangerback walker, and when it dies, I get a bunch of tokens, and then I can put those plus one counters onto a hooded hydra, and then when it dies, I get a bunch more tokens, things like that. That was a really fun strategy for me. Even though I was building around one particular strategy, though, it again came down to that there was a really weird push and pull between the partners because they are still pulling in two different directions. Rayhan wants me to sacrifice my Ishai, for example, to put its counters elsewhere, but Ishai wants desperately to stay alive so that it can punch people. So the partners have been a really interesting deck building experience for me. Matt, how about yourself? I had a, uh, a Ravos and Thrasios deck. Uh, it was kind of built like a, a Lurin, toolboxy type creature-heavy uh, combo deck. So I was playing any two and three card creature interaction combo that I could play. I just jammed it into one deck. So I played a lot of Alluren and just toolbox, small creature effects. You know, had your Reclamation Sage had your Eternal Witness type stuff, but then I had Cavern Harpy along with Parasitic Strix, so I could bounce the Strix to drain them, pick it up, play it again, redo it. Uh, I had Blasting Station with Renegade Rallier and Safi Eric's Daughter, so I would sacrifice Safi to, to bring back my Renegade Rallier, then sacrifice Renegade Rallier to Blasting Station to deal a damage, then would come back and I'd bring the Safi back. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just a bunch of wonky cards all played together. And then I I think I only cast Ravos ever just because I wanted to get creatures back out of the graveyard to play him again. Didn't ever really cast Thrasios though, but it was a really fun toolbox deck. I think I had that deck together probably for about a year or so. You're a mean man, Mr. Morgan. You referred to your combo as just being wonky cards? Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Actually, I will have you know that I played the Blasting Station with Safi and Renegade Rallier. 
I played that in a PPTQ in a modern event, and it was just watching some people's faces melt when I actually had the combo go off. I top aided that of uh, that tournament, so it was super funny. Like people like literally said, "I can't believe I lost to an EDH deck." So <laughs> you're welcome, Dana. Is there any partner pair that you enjoy? Um, I had almost built a Timna and Ravos deck, so it would have been Orzov. I have a Tesa Orzov Scion token deck, but at the time the partners came out, I was kind of struggling with that deck because I didn't love all the Grave Pack kind of effects in it, and it was a little dirtily as well to make tokens. I was doing a lot of sacrificing reassembling skeletons and recasting them and sacrificing Brutal Cockroaches kind of stuff. So it, it, it could just definitely wind up like dirtling off in the weeds as well as generating a soft lock on the game that I couldn't necessarily win either. So I thought, well, Tim and Ravos, I had the option to then you know, play more straight token production in black-white because uh, Ravos is kind of a big beater himself, and he buffs the other tokens or maybe was a way to get to a win condition faster. So I had toyed around with that deck just virtually on deck-building sites, but at the same time, I kind of figured out my Tesa deck as well, so I never wound up switching over. But if I were to have done a pair deck, that's what it would have been. It's interesting to me, just there is a bit of a Ravos conundrum in my mind, looking at Ravos, who does give all of your other creatures plus one, plus one. It's kind of interesting to me to see the partners that don't get along at all. Ravos, as I mentioned, is an anthem for all of your, your creatures. But then there's also Sidar Kondo, who makes all of your two power or less creatures unblockable. He also has flanking, which is really weird. He's like, oh, you can't block me, but also if you block me, a bad thing happens. I mean, he only makes that for non-flying creatures. Whatever, that's very particular. But the point is, there are some partners that don't seem to get along very well. And I remember when the partners first came out, I was a little irked by that. I was kind of like, well, all of these partners should be able to partner well with anyone, right? But at the same time, there is something to be said for them pulling in a very specific direction, as you mentioned, Dana, so that it it focuses the deck as opposed to providing that platform for merely playing good stuff in those particular colors. Yeah, you, yeah, you have Ikra, Shadiki, and uh, Akiri that like directly contradict each other with what they're trying to do. So, And that is the point of the game, right? These colors are supposed to contradict each other. They shouldn't necessarily all work nicely together. It, it is fun to see the ones that do, though. So is there a partner pairing that you guys are surprised isn't more popular, or perhaps one that is popular that you didn't expect to be? I'm almost kind of surprised that there weren't any Esper lineups, any color combos, whatever you want to call it, that were more popular. I, I, I really like Silas Ren for some reason, just I, I like what he does. I think he is a little underpowered to be his own deck. When you combine it with, you know, like Ravos or Timna, uh, I think he gets a lot more powerful. So just seeing, and, and just any of the Esper in general, I know Ishai is very... A lot of people are skeptical on Ishai. So yeah, but it was, it was just kind of surprising none of the, the white-blue-black combos were more popular than they are. I was surprised to see Akiri and Bruce be as high as they were. I agree. It's I've seen the deck before, and I agree it's perfectly fine. Um, for Boros, too, I mean, it, it's a strong, aggressive Boros deck. But it's Boros, and people you know tend to shy away from the challenges of that color combination. So I was I was surprised it was the third most popular pair, for sure just for the reason of people not liking Boros. Nate, how about you? I'm surprised Ikra Shadiki the Usurper is not more popular than she is, because she's just solid. I mean, every Duran player is putting Ikra Shadiki in their deck, but I think there's a lot more potential there. Yeah, it, it's funny to see 
the partners that came in the pre-constructed decks together, some of the time they don't actually get along all that well. So for example, we can see a really strong connection between Timna and Tana, or Ravos and Tana, which all came in the same deck together. They were certainly intended to be built together. But then Ishai and Ikra Shadiki also came in the same deck together, and they have almost no connection between them. There are very few decks for Ikra Shadiki and Ishai. Even though they do sort of feed into each other's ability, Ishai getting huge and then Ikushidiki re rewarding you with a bunch of life every time that you attack with a huge creature, or at least a creature with a huge toughness. So it is kind of funny to see the combinations that came in the pre-constructed deck. They were intended to be played together, but they just aren't really. In fact, nowhere is that more evident than with Sidar, Kondo, Ludovic, and Kraum, which have almost no connections between each other. There are very few decks between those three, but they just people just aren't interested in building them. I think the fact that Atraxa exists might be dampening the numbers for Ishai and Rehan and Ikrashidiki. That's another point to consider as well. The popularity of the actual main four-color commander could also be dampening some of these, uh, some of these partners as well. It's another good point to, to consider when looking at these statistics. Yeah, man. Uh, do we even have time to go over the individual partners or no? I don't think so. Do we challenge the stats? All right, guys, let's challenge some statistics. We're going to take a look at some of the cards that probably have lower numbers than they should or higher numbers than they should. Nate, since you're our guest, do you want to start us off? Okay, so how this works, I'm looking at the page for Rayhan Last of the Abzan and Ichai Ojutai Dragonspeaker. These are decks using both of them as the partners, and I got a few questions here about what people are doing. I don't even see Villainous Wealth on this page at all. If you have the colors to play Villainous Wealth, you should be playing Villainous Wealth. Let's see. Gavany Township is only at 36% of the decks. That should be higher. And uh, what's up with the uh, Izuri Claw of Progress? This guy, he's only at 18, no, 13% of the decks. He puts counters on things. He should be in there. You've already got Sage of Hours in there at 24%. There should be more Izuri Claw of Progress in all decks that can run Azuri Claw Progress. Oh what say you? I say nay. Yeah, Joey, what do you think? I actually disagree with all three of your picks, so this will be kind of interesting. <laughs> I happen to have an Ishai and Rayhan deck. I don't run Villainous Wealth because I don't think it's on theme. Gavany Township doesn't strike me as very necessary because my deck goes tall, not wide. And Azuri is terrible. So... <laughs> For those that don't know, Villainous Wealth is uh, Sultai, so it's one of each color, and it reads win target game. <laughs> I, I, I don't like playing Sultai colors, but Villainous Wealth is one of the most fun cards out there. Like I, I agree with Nate here. Okay, well, this could be a good... This is a very edifying moment for me, then. Maybe I should give that card a, <laughs> a chance in this particular deck, since I can play it, but I'm not. Maybe I have too strong an attachment to theme, and I should go for more of those good stuff cards that we were criticizing earlier. That was a slight jab. <laughs> it's not a good I'm, stuff oh. card. It's like, it's, if you want to play Sultai Gaunti effects, like, that's that's your thing. Games have to end. And that and, and that ends games. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. All right, that's fair. Uh, as long as we're talking about Rayhan and Ishai, my particular pick for challenging the stats this week is the card Spike Weaver. This is a four-mana weird zero-zero insect, but it comes into play with three plus-one counters on it. And the only important information that you need to know is that for one mana, you can remove one of those plus one counters and then fog. You can prevent all damage that will be dealt to you that turn. It is fantastic. You get three fogs on a single body. It's a great, 
great ratio for card advantage. You just you will not be dealt damage unless you want to be dealt damage. But Spike Weaver only shows up in 2,436 decks total on the website. And if you look at the Rayhan and Ishai page in specific, it doesn't show up there at all. And I just think that's people should give Spike Weaver a a, a close look. They should really consider that one because it really protects you. So very good card that people should reconsider. The, the one thing I would it's the one thing card. I would say about that, and I don't disagree, it's an amazing card. I ran it in my I had a Mimeoplasm plus one counter deck, and it was ridiculous in that deck. It is twenty years old, and it hasn't had a reprint. It had one reprint in a beatdown box set, which was in two thousand. So the only reprint was eighteen years ago. So I would just wager a vast majority of people that are running those decks don't know it exists. Well, now they do, and they should totally play it because it's fantastic. That's what we're here for. Dana, what's your pick? My pick is a card that anyone who knows me knows I like a lot, and I I intentionally wasn't going to ever use a card for this segment ever, but this was the perfect chance to do it, so I'm going to do it. My pick is Righteous War in Ravo, Soul Tender, and Timna the Weaver. That's an Orzhov deck with two Orzhov commanders, and there's exactly one deck on EDH Rec with that partner pairing that's running Righteous War. Uh, for those who don't know, Righteous War is an enchantment for one, a black and a white, and it gives white creatures you control protection from black, and black creatures you control protection from white. So in that deck, that means both your commanders have pro-black and pro-white. And if you want to just dig into the stats really briefly on EDH Rec, eight of the ten most frequently played target removal spells that are instants are black or white. So you immediately your commanders have, have immunity from 8 of the 10 most frequently played target removal spells at instant. The only ones that hit it are Beast Within and Cyclonic Rift. 16 of the top 20 don't hit it. In, in Sorcery Speed, there's one spell in the top 10 that actually hit a commander with pro-black and pro-white. Yeah, Chaos Warp? Um, Chaos Warp and... Oh, sorry, Beast Sorcery Within? Speed is Decimate. Mm. The, other, the, other, the other two at instant speed are Capsize and Chaos Warp. Uh, four, 40 of the most popular, of, of the top 100 most popular creatures can't block your commander, and all five of the top most popular commanders ever can't block your creature. Yeah, protection's really powerful, especially with protection from the two most played removal colors. Anyone who's been on the other end of an Animar Soul of the Elements deck definitely knows that that protection from black and white can really get in your way. And, it's, and, and even there's like little stuff, like I run this in my Tesa deck that I mentioned before, and there are so many times... Just a dumb bitter blossom token screws up someone's bane slayer swinging in, because it has that bitter blossom token now has pro white, or by giving that black flyer pro anything, it stops those five color dragons from swinging in. I mean, there's so many like little tiny ways that screws up people's plans in a game. I, I really feel like if your commander is black and white, you probably should be considering running this card. Really cool. I like that pick, Matt. How about yours? So I have one, again, from my 60-card-constructed my Modern Roots. I was looking through a bunch of partners, and I saw Tana and Timna decks. There's a theme that, you know, when you look at the most-played cards, there's a lot of hate bears in there. You see, like, Anafens of the Foremost, a bunch of, like, Gaddock Teague-type creatures. And one of them was in over 50% of all Tana and Timna decks, and it's Avon Mind Sensor. And I don't think it should be up there. Uh, I, I love the card. I've played it many a times. But in EDH, I think it's too, I think it's too Christmas landy. It's too low. If, you know, I don't know. I just don't think it makes a big enough difference in Commander for it to be, you know, warranting 
over 50% of Tana and Timna decks, especially when you look at the, the commanders themselves, like you want to make sure that Tana is connecting, you're making tokens, and you want cards that are going to maximize that. And your hate bear theme that a lot of people seem to be running does not help you accomplish that at all. So Avon Mind Sensor, it's in over 7,600 decks on EDH Rec. It probably should be about half of that, to be honest. I know it, you know you can mess up somebody's tutor, you can mess up somebody's ramp, but you only get one effect of that. It, you're basically running a stifle at that point, and stifle is not played very often at all. People can play around it. Right, even Mind Sensor being the three mana two one flash flying that makes it if an opponent would search their library, they only get to search the top four cards instead. I'm kind of curious to hear you say that you don't like this particular this particular guy. Hate Bears is one of those things that the the Timna decks are pretty famous for, and I'm I'm surprised that that you don't like this one as much. You, in your experience, it just hasn't been as good as it looks. With with Tana, I don't think it it jives that well with what you want to be doing with Tana decks. That's my big bugaboo, I guess, with with this card. Tana, you want to make sure that you're because you have to connect with Tana in order to get those triggers and make your sapperlings. So you need to be focusing more on that instead of. I think if you're playing Hate Bears with a red green commander, whatever the other partners are. You're doing yourself a disservice. You need to be capitalizing on what your commander can do better than trying to keep everybody else from playing a little more fair. I understand in Tana and Timna, you're not playing blue, so you're already you know, kind of putting yourself a square behind everybody else. But I think there's better things you can do than play a couple hate bears that once it's on the ground, people can play around it very easily. Sorry, I thought someone would have a response to that, but I guess I'm the only person who thinks that that's I, weird. I guess I just have a perfect opinion then. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I even mind sensor has crushed me sometimes. I, I haven't seen it a whole lot, so I guess I, I'm not really able to say whether or not it's a good pick. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, personally, I don't use tutors that much, so I'm not afraid of that card. Could be a very yeah. meta-dependent choice. There's also some weird stuff. I think mind sensor has some residual love from other formats like squelching somebody's search some somebody's fetch land in modern or when it was in standard is a whole different thing than doing it in commander when you've got three people um, just setting back one person for a fetch probably isn't nearly as backbreaking as it is your one opponent yeah which is probably why it doesn't see as much play i think people kind of realize that and maybe don't run it because they want to run something much splashier yeah, I, th I think for three mana, like if you want to play some hate bears, play something that is a lot harder to play around. Like, like we were talking about Torpor Orb in the pre-show. Torpor Orb is something I would totally run because it has a much wider effect and it's a little bit harder to play around. You shut down way more cards. Once Daven Mind Sensor is on the field, you're not going to play your tutor into it. You're not dumb, or maybe you are. I don't know. I think another point is that from what I've seen, the Tana and Timna decks are mainly toward competitive EDH so that as a hate bears format you have to be more reactive to stopping someone else from tutoring up their win combo sure I, I get that and yeah if, if you're playing and like Joey said if it's it can be kind of meta dependent so yeah if, if you're playing super tuned then yeah maybe you want an even mind sensor if your buddy's playing Carador and you, he entombs everything turn two so alrighty did we have any last minute thoughts about the partner commanders I like them. <laughs> Same. I also like them. Dana, I'm sorry that you're such a cumrudgeon. I, I clearly am the outlier. But you know, sometimes it takes a while for a genius to be recognized. So I'm, I'm okay with... 
hanging out in the fringe until eventually my ideas are accepted. Alrighty. And on that bizarre note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to find us, where can they find you all? I'll let the, the guest go first. Yeah, I'm at Mr. Plorg on Twitter. I do a podcast called Commander Time. You can find it on the podcast or on YouTube's where I put up uh, pictures of the cards we're talking about. Yeah, and we'll probably have the other hosts of the Commander Time podcast, Patrick Sapola and Gene Goody. We'll probably have them on as guests here soon as well. Sweet. Matt, how about you? You can find me on Twitter uh, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of fun stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can also find my other podcast, Commander Central, on Twitter at CMDR Central, or just on the Libsyn at Commander Central, where this week we will be having Nate's partner in crime on Commander Time, Patrick Sapola, on our show. Oh, one step ahead of us, are you? Mm. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can follow EDHREC on Facebook and Twitter at EDHREC and the EDHREC subreddit if you have a question or perhaps a request for a new site feature. P.S. If the EDHREC Facebook page gets 5,000 likes, there will be a giveaway, so head on over there to smash that like button for a chance at a cool prize. We're also doing a giveaway for the EDHRECcast Twitter page once we hit 1,000 followers, so be sure to check out EDHRECcast on Twitter as well. As Dana mentioned, you can check out his other podcast at cmdrcentral.lipson.com. You can check out Nate's podcast at commandertime.lipson.com as well. You can check us out at edhretcast.lipson.com or contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help us boost our visibility and help other folks find the podcast. You can find this podcast and more on EDHREC's very own community content spotlight section where we feature as many other Commander content creators as we can, from the Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by EDH Rec's very own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, and until then, remember, EDH Rec your deck before you wreck your deck. I wasn't too, uh, too cranky, old man cranky there with my uh, partner snap, was I? I don't know. If, no. if we decide we don't like it, we can just tell Ken to put in animal noises instead of your voice. <laughs> All right. Good night. You sounded so painful when you said that. <laughs> yep, yeah, because that's exactly what was happening. I'm just like, oh, no.